there is no time like the 2020s to start a company, to start a startup. You know, with the rise of the internet, you can learn anything at a very low cost, if not for free. You can build anything without needing to know how to code with tools like Bubble and Adalo. And you can get the word out about your products for free by using, you know, sites like Twitter, Product Hunt, and Reddit. There's no time like the 2020s to build a company. Yet one element of kind of entrepreneurship and company building that hasn't caught up with the times is venture capital. Unless you live, you know, in San Francisco or New York, chances are you may know what venture capital is, but you may not really know how it works. You may not know who the good VCs are, and you may not know how they think. So with this podcast of Forward Thinking Investors, I want to dive into this world. I want to help anyone in the world understand what is venture capital, who are the great venture capitalists, and how do they think about their day-to-day with the goal to help more people understand how it works so they can go out and raise capital for themselves. And they can build billion-dollar companies just like you know Larry did at Google or Travis did at Uber or Katrina did at Stitch Fix. That can be you, but it just takes some education. And I'm using this podcast as a medium to teach everyone more about venture capital. So if you want to learn about it, you want to dive in, you want to meet some awesome investors, stick around, listen to some episodes, and I, and I hope you enjoy. All right, how's it going, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Forward Thinking Investors, where we talk to awesome investors about founders, markets, and how they got into venture. Today, we're talking to Caroline Cassie, who's a co-managing partner at Metrodor Ventures. Welcome to the show. How's it going? Thank you so much. It's going well, and I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you you coming on. Um, so I think my, my first question is the first question you know, I always ask because it's, you know, there's always windy paths to get into venture. My question for you is how did you get into venture? Tell me about how you kind of got to where you're at today. Yeah. So I'm actually a lawyer by background and training. I started my career at Skadden Arps in the M&A and private equity practice groups. Uh, but while I was in law school, I was very lucky to have Uh, this cool internship at Spotify, working for the head of corporate development, who was an incredible mentor and friend. Uh, Spotify is and always has been a really mission-driven company, and I loved being a part of that and knew uh, I wanted to end up with a career that played some part in helping to fix uh, and improve the world, and a law firm didn't feel like the best place to do that. Uh, And I was there while the company raised its Series F from uh, TCV, And so while that was really more growth stage investing, which is uh, ultimately not where I ended up, it did expose me to and got me really excited about the whole venture ecosystem. So when uh, a job opportunity at a a pre-seed venture firm uh, sort of fell into my lap, I jumped on the opportunity. Uh, The first role, the first investing role I had was at a firm called Beanstalk, uh, which is still the best name for an early stage firm that I've ever come across. Uh, And that job was to both invest in and help incubate early stage businesses in the retail tech and direct to consumer space. I then ended up being part of a new investment firm called Blockchange, which invests in the blockchain and crypto space. And my current roles with Metrodora, which is a new pre-seed and seed firm, which launched earlier this year. I appreciate you, sh- you sharing that. Um, so, you know, I, the first time that I that I saw the name of your firm, I'm like, that's that's unique. That's interesting. I'd love to kind of hear kind of two points. You know, how would you get started with y- your current firm? Um, and um, well, it's three questions. How would you get started with your current firm? 
um why did you name it what you named it so what's the kind of the origin story and then um actually we'll leave it there we'll start with those two questions um why this firm and why this name yeah so the firm is um, myself and chelsea clinton and we're working uh, in partnership with union square ventures and we were actually sort of match made by usb uh chelsea had gone to know usb really well over the last several years in her capacity as a board member of one of their portfolio companies, Nurex. And she was sort of thinking about how she wanted to spend her time and some of her uh, work commitments and her professional commitments wrapped up last fall. And she'd uh, been getting more active in the venture ecosystem. Uh, USB had been so impressed by her ability to, to mentor and work with founders and, and early stage venture-backed companies. And they at least confided in me that they were had been pushing her to, to really make this her full-time focus. Um, and so uh, I, part of my previous role was uh, really running the operational and legal and compliance side of our venture firm in addition to investing. So Chelsea and I have these very complementary skill sets. And so USB decided to, to make a match. And uh, we came up with the name Metrodora we spent a long time looking for the right name. Uh, and I can speak sort of uh, more to our, our focus and, and our, our thesis and, and parts of that that sort of led us to this, this name and brand. But Metrodora is an ancient female physician and she is the, uh, was the author of the first medical textbook by a woman. So we felt that that uh, really embodied so much of the things that we, so many things that we were trying to accomplish with our firm. Yeah, I, I love that. I appreciate you sharing that. So let's let's walk through, um, you know, when you started the firm, you know, you could have started like any stage, right? But you decided to go seed and pre-seed. Um, what do you like about uh, the kind of that stage of startups? And in addition, uh, um, are you kind of more of a like market-driven investor, founder-driven investor, kind of both? How do you kind of look at um, on, on a very high level, just opportunities when they come across your de- uh, when they come across your desk? Yeah, so we are focused on the pre-series A opportunity. Uh, we were, my experience had been at, at this stage of investing, so it was a natural fit for me. For Chelsea, uh, so much about what she loved in her previous uh, professional commitments of, of teaching and writing and working in the nonprofit space was mentorship. And we felt that intellectually we were most interested in working with companies at this stage in their life cycle and also uh, in mentoring them and nurturing them to get to uh, the, the, the Series A stage. So it, it was a very natural and easy decision for us to focus on pre-seed and seed. And then in terms of the second part of your question, we are a, a sector-focused fund. We are focused only on health and learning. And so we are looking at those uh, at investment opportunities in terms of markets within those categories. And we are extremely uh, founder-focused and founder-driven. So we uh, have a set of criteria that we look for in founders. We work very closely with our founding teams. And at the end of the day, feel that um, we're betting on ideas, but we're really, really betting on people. And, you know, I think that a lot of people look at the VC profession and they think, oh, like, you know, all they do is just write checks, right? It's a very simple job, but actually like there's actually a lot that goes into 
um, being a VC, right? More than just spotting and, and writing checks. My question for you is, you know, since you've gotten this off the ground, what's been like a day in the life for you? What's an average day for you as a VC? Um, and has it changed at all as you've gone in different stages of the firm, like getting it started, raising funds? Um, love just your kind of day in the life for you. Yeah, every day is so different, which is part of what I love about my job. It's so dynamic and, uh, you know, there's there's no monotony. I spend part of my day uh, dealing with sort of what I like to call the plumbing of the fund. So anything uh, that's operational, that's um, investor relations, it's, it's uh, the legal side of things. Part of my day is spent looking at new investment opportunities. So evaluating decks or pitches or blurbs. Uh, part of my day is spent actually meeting with founders, whether it's a first meeting or if we've decided to uh, continue in a diligence process, um, we might be a little bit further along with, with the founder or founding team. Um, part of my day is spent meeting with other investors. I find that to be a really rewarding and value add piece of what I do is learning from and sharing deals with like-minded investors and some investors who aren't so like-minded. I, I find some of my best learning comes from people who think quite differently from me. Uh, and then part of my day, my days uh, are spent working with our, our the founders of our existing portfolio companies. And we have at least monthly check-ins with each founder, but in practice, we meet with our founders uh, on a really an ad hoc basis. We say that we like to be a founder's first phone call when something's going really well, but also when something's going not so well. Uh, so we do a lot of uh, crisis management, um, a lot of problem solving on behalf of our founders. And then a lot of my day is spent just catching up with Chelsea, um, uh, you know, debriefing everything that we saw and did that day, touching base, um, making sure that we're making time and space for our partnership and uh, building out our relationship because that at the end of the day, makes us a stronger team. And one, one, one other thing that I feel like, you know, isn't totally clear, I think, about VC is, um, or just venture capital, is kind of when you start a fund that you kind of make specific decisions around like, oh, like, are we writing a lot of big or a few big checks into a few companies? Are we writing, you know, a ton of small checks into a lot of companies? Um, you know, portfolio construction. Um, I, I'm curious for you, how have you approached portfolio construction with this fund? And, um, and just, I don't know, like, 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 have you leaned one way or another, like lots of small checks, a few big checks, and how do you kind of make some of those decisions when coming up with your portfolio construction? Yeah, so the first thing I'll say is that there's so many smart people who uh, have written and said very smart things about portfolio construction. And I think it's just important to have a point of view. I don't think there's one uh, right way um, to, to model out your portfolio. So we're focused on the pre-series A opportunity. Seed is really our sweet spot. We're writing half million dollar checks and targeting three to 5% ownership at the initial investment stage. Uh, so given that, we knew we wanted to have somewhere between 20 and 30 companies in our portfolio of our first fund, and we wanted to lead at least a handful of those deals. Uh, and a few things informed how we thought about portfolio allocation. The first was risk and diversification. Uh, the second was the fact that we knew we were sort of the new kids on the block. We were emerging managers. 
Um, a third was that seed investors tend to invest in syndicates uh, and rounds tend to be uh, collaborative at the pre-seed stage. Um, and the last thing was there was a real desire to be really hands-on with our founders. So for us, we thought as much about how we want to allocate our time uh, as much as we thought about how we want to allocate the funds capital. So there's, of course, uh, conventional wisdom about having a, a relatively, relatively broad initial portfolio at this stage that consists of north of 20 companies. And that's because you want to have a good number of uh, shots on goal for exits that can be fund returners. And we decided not to go even broader than, than the 25 uh, companies that we landed on. Uh, because for a two-year investment period across only two GPs, uh, that would have been a pace that would exceed our bandwidth, given the level of involvement that we want to have on the post-investment side. So, you know, we're seeing uh, amazing deal flow. We're focused on health and learning. We launched our firm during the pandemic. So given our sector focus, we, we really could have changed our strategy aggressively uh, given the deal flow, but it was really important to us to stay disciplined and focused on uh, our target check size and investing cadence. Can you just mention again that you're focused, you know, on those two sectors? Uh, I'm, kind of, I'm kind of curious, what do you, do you have oftentimes founders reach out to you that, you know, aren't in those categories? Maybe they didn't do the research. Maybe they're, you know, spraying and praying, who knows, but like, you know, it, if people reach out to you, you know, for things outside of that, like, what do you, what do you kind of do? Or is that not, does that not happen? Cause you've kind of positioned yourself to be the go-to for those sectors. Yeah. It's rare that I get something inbound that is, definitively not health or learning. That doesn't have some component of health or learning in, in their core uh, business strategy. Um, and I think that is because we uh, have positioned ourselves as being health and learning focused out of the gate. Uh, but to the extent that I did, uh, I think I, I would certainly take the time to, to read and respond to that founder uh, and my uh, first business partner uh, at Blockchange, uh, who had hired me at Beanstalk, really imparted on me this wisdom um, on taking every meeting that you have time for, making time for founders, because it's about relationship building, it's about learning. Um, there's, you know, sort of infinite possible synergies with um, prospective portfolio companies and existing portfolio companies. So I do try to make time. Um, to read something and respond thoughtfully and at least point that entrepreneur in the right direction, even if it's not a good fit for us in Metrodora. And then kind of one more question on the kind of the founder side. So let's say you have, a, you know, you, you got a ton of smart founders that are reaching out to you in your, in your sector or they're being intro to you, you know, uh, you know, how do you, how do you decide um, how to like who to meet with, who to you know respond to? I mean, you said to respond to everyone, which is fantastic, but like everyone, you only have so much time in the day. So how do you, I guess, determine which founders kind of pass the initial test and kind of go all through all the way through diligence versus the ones that like you know may not be a fit just from the get? Do you have like kind of strategies um, for that, or um, I don't know, like how do you how do you just deal with the deal flow? <laughs> Yeah, so great question. And I think so much of this job is being able to say no really quickly to something. And that's why we spend a lot of time thinking through our investment philosophy and actually developing a set of 
uh, filters and criteria that we would use to apply to deals. And we decided to be very disciplined about that. Um, so oftentimes it's really easy to sort of go through our checklist of things. Is this a massive market? Is it filling an unmet consumer need? Is there a path to $100 million in revenue, et cetera, et cetera? Uh, and if we can't check all the boxes, then we, we won't sort of make time to uh, evaluate that company. And we also want to be conscious of that founder's time and resources. Uh, that being said, we do try to take as many first meetings as possible, regardless of uh, what the source of the deal was. So uh, in practice, our deal flow has really come a third, a third, a third from Chelsea's network, my network, and USV's network, uh, because we're working in, in partnership with USV. Uh, to the extent something is inbound or sort of falls outside of those three channels of deal flow, uh, I think we would still look at the opportunity with the same set of filters. Uh, and that's how we would decide whether to make time uh, to take a meeting. And then once we, we have that meeting, um, whether we're going to, to move forward in our evaluation and, and take another meeting. Uh, and when we think about uh, how we evaluate founders, we look at track record, we look at founder product fit. So the things that I ultimately care most about are a founder's character, their ability to think strategically, uh, whether the founder is likely to be at the company in five to 10 years from now, and whether he or she has a steep enough leadership learning curve to grow that company from one employee to a thousand employees. And we, I, I think, you know, in terms of the, the traits that we think make a founder um, really excellent, uh, and backable uh, are, you know, things like grit and uh, being persevering and nonconformist. But I think one of the things that differentiates Metrodora is that we are also filtering for morally motivated founders. We really care about founders who are building something that is reflective of their lived experience or uh, who have a deep empathy for and a commitment to serve the market that they're building for. And I think that's especially important uh, in the health and learning categories. And let's say there's, you know, a founder listening or, you know, future founder listening, whoever. Um, and uh, I think that, you know, as mentioned a couple, as I've mentioned a couple of times, a lot of times like venture capital um, is sometimes mystified and whatnot. So my question to you is, you know, if there's a founder listening to this, what is one thing you would want to share um, with them that you feel like most founders and most people like don't understand about venture capital? Something that you wish more people got or more founders understood going into a meeting, which might better their chances to, you know, make a good impression or potentially get an investment. Is there anything that comes to mind in the, on that front? You don't have to wear a fleece vest. Just kidding. Um, I, I think, um, you know, I think something that's starting to change in venture, which I am pretty excited about, but I, I still feel that there's a really long ways to go. Um, which is gender bias and the gender divide in the industry. Uh, and and I, I swear this, this, I have a point at the end of this, but uh, today women make up 14% uh, of the investment decision makers in VC and only 25% of investment professionals in VC are minorities. And so a lack of female and diverse fund managers uh, or investment decision makers means a dearth 
of diverse founders. Only 2.2% of the $130 billion of venture capital money that was invested uh, a couple of years ago went to women. And I think this is problematic because if you think about how VCs meet companies and make decisions, there's a very clear selection bias. We tend to invest in people we trust. And that tends to be people that we meet through friends or, or trusted colleagues, people who went to our alma mater, who present like us, who communicate like us. And I think that this creates a reinforcing cycle that leaves diverse talent out of the market. And what we've learned is that women and minorities think differently, they run companies differently, they oftentimes communicate differently, and it's hard to recognize and identify that if you don't have uh, female and diverse decision makers on your investment committee or in the room when you're evaluating a company. So this is something that we spend a lot of time thinking about. Uh, we really want to embrace different cultural styles and ways of communicating, uh, new ways of assessing uh, market opportunities because I think the reality is that women especially will identify market segments by virtue of where their empathy lies. And so um, there are so many examples of highly successful female founded companies who struggled to raise capital at the beginning of their fundraising journeys because traditional investors didn't understand their market segment. And so I guess where I'm heading is that I, I do think these, these norms are shifting. I do think people are receptive to and cognizant of different styles of communication and presentation and pitching. Um, but I would say don't alter your, your style uh, to fit what you see as this sort of Silicon Valley model. I, I think the world is changing um, and catching up uh, to the diversity in this country. Um, one quick uh, point on that, because um, you know, it was like six months ago when I realized I looked back on my other podcast, my forward thinking founders podcast. And I interviewed, I don't know, the first half of the, of the year was like pretty much like 75%, 80% white men. And I'm like, Oh, wow. Like, I, I, I think I thought that like, I, you know, had good intentions up like at the end of the day, like you kind of, you kind of, uh, doesn't really matter <laughs> what your intentions are. What matters is kind of what you do. So I set a, a goal after I realized that to interview at least 50% um, in quarter four, you know, people that aren't white men. And it's been really rewarding to do that. I've been tracking it on Twitter. And I, I was thinking about like challenging other podcast hosts to do it, but like may, maybe another time, but um, I, I think this is crucial. It is changing, but it's not changing fast enough. So I appreciate you you bringing that up. Um, and, uh, and kind of imparting that on on the listeners. Um, for my for my last question, um, for you, if someone is listening to this, they're like, wow, we really love what you have to say. We want you to invest in us. We're working in your sector. We're, we're the, the Goldilocks zone. Um, how can they, like, how, how can someone kind of uh, learn more about you online or, do you, you know, or reach out to you? Um, like, what's your website? Do you have a blog, Twitter? How, how can someone kind of get in touch if they like what you have to say and they want to learn more? Yeah, so uh, we do not have a website yet. Uh, we do have a Twitter page, uh, though it's not particularly active. Uh, I do check my LinkedIn. I check my Twitter DMs, our Twitter DMs. Um, I actually, in the last two days, I've had two meetings that came through uh, in my LinkedIn inbox. And uh, to my earlier point, I, I try to make time um, for anyone uh, where I feel that I can um, 
add value to their journey, whether they're looking for a new role, whether they are starting their company um, and being able to point them to an investor that's a good fit. So I, I do check all those channels. Um, you can also email us at info at metrodora.bc. If you have a great idea in health or learning, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, and yeah, we, we are um, a new fund. We're just getting off the ground. Uh, so we are still thinking about how we want to build out our, our brand and our platform and our writing and blogging. And we're very lucky uh, to be working with USD, who we think has done such a tremendous job of that. So that's really, I think, our model as we uh, build and scale our own team and franchise. Awesome. Well, I wish you the best of luck building out, you know, extremely successful firm. And thanks for coming on to the podcast. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you all for listening to that podcast of Forward Thinking Investors live from the radio station in Forward Thinking City. What is Forward Thinking City? Forward Thinking City is the number one virtual community for people to break into tech and startups. We have a combination of AMAs with the the best founders and investors out there. And we have educational sessions on how to fundraise for your startup and how to learn to build products with no code and of course we have tons of networking events for example open coffee hours and pitch club um, so you can get practice meeting other people and pitching your product in front of dozens if not hundreds of other residents for thinking city is $20 a month and in exchange you get access to all of these founders all of these potential future employees these future investors as well as the education that you need to take your startup to the next level if you are trying to level up as a founder or an investor or startup enthusiasts go to forwardthinking.city and we will see you over there know some of events are free so if you're just interested if this piques your interest go to forwardthinking.city and rsvp to some events and if you feel like it sign up as a resident and i'll see you on the other side